No my Heidi Mike, Tene Hotaki, you are on the panel RNZ National on iHeart, Apple and Spotify also. Wallace Chapman with you. Now if you haven't heard, Sir James Wallace, one of New Zealand's best known art collectors, businessmen and philanthropists, can now be named as the prominent businessman jailed for indecently assaulting three young men. No doubt you'll hear more on that on Checkpoint. Uh, at five. Today on the panel, a bombshell report into racism, sexism and class-based discrimination in English cricket. It's quite extraordinary. Racism was entrenched in the English game. Women treated as second-class citizens. That just after four on the panel. One in 11 people in uh, New Zealand have chronic kidney disease, yet less than half are aware of it. New Zealand's kidney dialysis system at a breaking point. Also today, bilingual road signs. Now that's been a hot-button issue, has it not? Meet the city council in the south who came to a unanimous decision to support it. We discussed that on the panel and also today, if you go into a high-end eatery, should you expect the chef to be able to give you a vegan offering? One highly regarded chef said, no way, you're not welcome. Thoughts on that? Text me 2101, email the panel at rnz.co.nz. With me this afternoon, investigative journalist in the Stuff Circuit team at Stuff, Paula Penfold. Kia ora, it's been a long time. Tēnā koe, it's nice to be back with you. Great to have you here. And uh, Gary Moore, company director, trusty part pub owner, a vintage motorist, he's a granddad, former mayor of Christchurch. Gary, it's also been a long time. Kia ora, lovely to have you. Yeah, kia ora, Wallace. Lovely to be here. Now up to this. Bad news for berry lovers out there. Wild weather in Hawke's Bay combined with a labour shortage has destroyed a third of the country's strawberry plant crop. It could not come at a worse time with a season start set to start rather next month. With us is Peter McIntyre, New Zealand Berry Free Propagators Chair. Kia ora, Peter. Good afternoon. How are you, Wallace? Uh, I'm just quite shocked at the stats. A third of the country's strawberry plant crop. Is this as bad as you've seen it? Uh, yeah, it's probably the worst ever. But having said that, it's, it's only a one-off and um, no yeah. one needs to get too upset next year where things should be back to normal. Oh, that's good. This is just indicative, isn't it, Paula, of um, the new weather style? They were the norms, I guess. Yeah, it sounds like they've had a horrendous run there, those poor growers. Um, and I see that there's, there are moves to try to move the operations indoors to address that very issue of the ongoing climate change effects. But that's obviously going to take some time and some investment. So in the meantime, the stocks are obviously going to be A, low and B, expensive. How much of the New Zealand strawberry crop is grown in Hawke's Bay, uh, Peter? Oh, not a great deal. Um, the majority of, of strawberries is still growing in Auckland, um, but like last season, we had, we had a hell of a season last year with the weather. Okay. So, uh, yeah. but but uh, tunnels tunnel production is is increasing in in the industry. So, and and they're more prevalent around the regions like Hawke's Bay, Bay of Plenty, um, and further down um, around Wanganui, around there. So, in Hamilton, Waikato. Are you, is, that, is that indoor or is that tunnel production? Yeah. Just explain that. Yeah. Tun- tunnels are, are, we're going to tabletop. So we've traditionally grown, it, grown on, the, on the soil and we've sterilised the, the beds. And now the industry is going to tabletops, which is off the ground, about a metre or so off the ground. Oh. And they're, they're easier to pick. They're, they're fed hydroponically, so all the nutrients are fed into the bags. 
there's no soil, it's a soilless structure, uh, and they've got, a pla- they've got a roof, effectively, to protect them from the weather. Goodness. Do they taste the same? Yes. Uh, I've, you sound I, I really heavy. Well, I'm, I'm an old outdoor grower, so I always, I always <laughs> like the soil. So. Yeah, I bet they don't taste as sweet or smell the same, right, yeah. as the outdoor ground ones. Yeah, they do. They I mean, a, a beautifully ripe field-picked strawberry is, is, yeah. is to die for. But having said that, we, we never, I never pick them that ripe to go to market anyway because you've got to pick them a little bit back so they have a shelf life. Gary. So if you're fortunate enough to, to, get, to pick your own and do it that way, then you'll get the full benefit of, of the, the flavour of the strawberry. But commercially, we always pick a little bit back so, so we have shelf life and they can last in right. stores. Gary Moore, what do you think? Well, I, w- I had a question for Peter because we have the same strawberries in our garden every year, you know, like it's we don't change them. And the only pests we have are um, our grandchildren beating us to them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why why are they replanted each year, Peter? Okay, well, we, we, where do you live? Where do you reside? Um, in Christchurch. Ah, that's why. Yeah, it's it's a completely different beast down there, and and commercial growers down completely in the South Island. <laughs> yeah, we, we we saw that on on Saturday in the rugby. So, and the last seven or eight ah. years. So, um, what, generally, what happens is uh, the, the industry's been growing on short day plants. So there's, there's now traditionally two types of plants. There's a short day plant and a day neutral. And a day neutral is called, overseas, is called an everbearer. So they'll produce now, we've got strawberries now that'll produce from September right through to May till they're torn out and replanted. And what happens is the plant produces so much fruit that, it, that it, it, it's exhausted at the end of the season and it won't produce as many or as big a fruit the following season. So that's why we replant, just right. purely for production and quality reasons. Right. But in the South Island, you've got longer days down there, so the plant doesn't uh, it doesn't produce as many flowers early on. So the, it produces a bigger plant, so it's more robust to go through the season. And the commercial growers down there will keep plants for two or three seasons. Oh my goodness! All I'm thinking about, Peter, is uh, uh, having a strawberry. Uh, with some yogurt or some ice cream. I'm really hungry now. And I'd like to actually ask our listeners uh, whether or not uh, you think you can taste the difference between uh, soil-grown strawberries and what Peter calls the tabletop uh, or tunnel strawberry. Text me at 2101. Bronwyn says strawberries don't ripen after being picked. Is that right, Peter? No, that's not true. They do. Um, It depends how green they've been picked. Because I used to export. I I exported 70% of my crop when I was growing. Um, and and we've picked some, some of them. We, we did a, lot, a large berry, very large berries, went overseas to Asia, and we were picking three quarter colour, and they were ripening. They were ripening up as I went over there. But the sugar content doesn't change all that much. That's the I difference. See. You'll get colour change, but you might not get as much sugar out of it, and that's why the, the fruit on the plant, left as long as possible, will get the higher bricks, so a higher sweet, sweetness content. And better jam. Well, jam is determined by how much sugar you put in, isn't it? Isn't it, Paula? It's not, I don't think it's got anything to do with the, with the fruit. <laughs> oh, good on you, Peter. Um, so uh, don't fear. Uh, it's a bad season, but uh, we will come out of it. Very good, Peter. Kia ora. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. All right. That's... Uh, Berry news there. Uh, those tunnel strawberries are amazing and in season all year round. And by the way, there's been quite a bit of response regarding this uh, uh, 
chat we're going to have about this restaurant, high end, who refuses to uh, serve vegan food. He says, if you want a vegan, go to another place. Um, completely fine that a restaurant refuses a vegan request for off-menu pandering. Vegans should reflect on their own support for an animal product serving organisation. What are they even doing there, says Andrew. Interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, we have uh, a space where you know it, you love it. It's called I've Been Thinking, where uh, the panellists uh, say what they – it's been on their mind all week. Paula Penfold, I've Been Thinking. It hasn't, in fact, been on my mind all week, but for a, a matter of about 10 minutes now, because <laughs> with the revelation this afternoon that Sir James Wallace has finally been named as the, in inverted commas, prominent businessman and arts patron who, had, who was found guilty of sexually abusing, I think, three young men. But it's been made me, been making me think and reflect on the very issue of name suppression and, and the, and I think the fact that we need to, or the justice system in consultation with the rest of us needs to think about whether it's working, whether it's effective, whether, whether we should be looking at a different approach because it's, it, it doesn't work. Mainstream media and responsible journalists who work for mainstream media organisations and who have charters and who are accountable to standards organisations respect those name suppressions. And, of course, they don't want to find themselves in contempt of court. But but many others don't. Alternative, alternative media doesn't. There was the case of Baby W, the baby at the centre of the High Court ruling uh, last year, I think it was, who needed heart surgery. Mainstream media, again, uh, support not supported but respected that name suppression. But the alternative media didn't. His name was widely used. So the the release today, the, the lifting of suppression after Sir James Wallace exhausted all legal avenues, I'm sure at no small expense, um, comes to the end Auckland's worst kept secret. Everybody knew who he was. Mm. So what was the point? Is my question. Yeah, uh, really interesting. Very timely. Kia ora, Paula. I, 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 no doubt you've got a a view or a, a, an opinion on that, Gary Moore, name suppression? Yes, I, I've I've always w- watched sort of wealthy people keeping their names out of the media and I thought, you know, if you've got no money, um, yeah. it's pretty difficult, even if you're innocent and your name's published, you know. it's uh, You know, I, I know what Paul is saying. Um, we even knew about it down here, so it was, right. it was terrible. It was completely um, pointless then. Oh, it was. Yeah. It was completely. And but, and the effort, the effort put into actually cover, uh, keeping his name secrets actually made it worse. I think, if anything. And and the, you end up in this what seems to me wrong situation when you know justice is supposed to be seen to be done, and you raise a very valid equity issue, but and then it's left to media companies to pay the legal expense of having to get the name suppression lifted, and that mm. it shouldn't that should not be left to media companies to but foot that we, bill. Do we need to remind ourselves what uh, name suppression is there for? It's for fairness, it's for justice. Uh-huh. Yes. You know, uh, that's that's the original. I mean, we were unique in the world a century ago having name suppression for people who actually at the start uh, were deemed warranted to, to give them a second chance. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, there are still cases, there are still cases where people have been charged uh, with crimes and and have their names, you know, at this stage still permanently suppressed, um, where I think there should be a public debate about 
the personalities involved. And there are other avenues that can be taken aside from suppression. I, I do think that justice should be open. Interesting. We might return to that actually on the panel uh, this week, uh, whether or not name suppression uh, needs a fix. All right, Gary Moore, I've been thinking. Well, I've been, I, I was last weekend, Pam and I went to an Afghan Maori wedding. And Abbas Nazari is quite well known for, to lots of New Zealand. Does he, he and his family came on the Tampa, which was the, they were the Afghan refugees whose boat sank off Australia. And Helen Clark said, we'll take them. And um, I've, I've um, sort of taken a, quite an interest in Abbas, as I saw as, a, as the mayor who made him a New Zealand citizen, that this young man was actually quite a leader, and boy, is mm. he ever. Mm. And um, so we've been involved, Pam and I have been involved in different parts of him and his um, family's life from then on. Um, but it was just fantastic and I think a message for those that fight immigration is to look at what these people add to our country. It's fantastic. But he married a Māori woman, and it was uh, Jen's. It's, it's a lovely, lovely story. And, and Jen walked in with her mother and her grandmother and, and, um, and, and her brother, and she had the family korowai on. And when the ceremony was towards the end of it, the mother took the korowai off and put it around a bus. And it was a beautiful, beautiful um, experience for us all. There was a rich culture that was being enriched. Wonderful, wonderful thoughts. Kia ora to you both. Gary Moore, Paula Penfold, and there is a lot to discuss on the panel today. Do stay with us.